It was the hardest thing I ever did to tell my children that their father was never coming home. The two bodies that were found, I think they had life jackets on. And I, I remember thinking, why did my daddy not put on his life jacket? During the mid-1970s, two fishing trawlers, the Evelyn Marie and Caraguna, sank at the exact same spot. Both accidents happened within two years of each other. Eleven men lost their lives, and my dad was one of them. My name is Helena Gallagher. I come from Arnmore Island, off the west coast of Donegal. On the 7th of January 1975, my dad Huey was drowned while fishing on the Evelyn Marie. I was four years of age and it was my first day at school on the island. I do remember my dad, but the story of what happened to him and what he was like is very vague. I'm going on a journey searching for answers. My mum Mary remembers it like yesterday. Well, they fished all night. Um, they stayed out all night until the following evening. And they had quite a good catch in Rossbeg Bay. And they were on their way back to port with their fish. About 7 o'clock on the 7th of January, 7pm. When a mayday call went out from their boat to say they were on the rocks at Rathlin or Who told you about the accident? Nobody told me. I heard it over the t television on the late news that night at 10 to 11. The Evelyn Maria's distress signals were picked up by a following boat, but it disappeared without sight within a matter of minutes. In the words of one of the eyewitnesses, it disappeared without a trace almost immediately. Like I'll never forget the terror when the first thing that came on was that a born board based trawler, the Evelyn Marie, was missing. Everybody knew but me. Everyone, all the neighbours knew. Were you mad about that? I did resent it a bit, yeah. I felt I could have been praying for them if I'd known. I ran out of the house. I ran out screaming, I think. I was going to go over to the priest and then somebody was passing and they came in and took me to another house, to a neighbour's house. And it was all pretty much a nightmare after that. The Evelyn Maria was built just a year ago but already it was one of the best known boats in the Donegal fleet. It had just finished fishing off Rossbeg Bay when the tragedy occurred. It was on its way back to Killybegs with its catch. It's not yet known how the accident occurred, but it is believed that the boat struck some low-lying rocks as it drowned at the seaward side of Rathlin O'Byrne Island, three miles off the mainland. Throughout the day, Back then, almost every fishing family had a CB radio listening into what was happening at sea. My grandpa Eddie was listening into the trawler band that night when news came through. He ran down to his neighbour, Tom O'Donnell, who was a member of the Arnmore lifeboat crew. This is the first time I've ever spoken to Pete about my dad and what happened on the night the boat went down. My recollection of it is I was sitting in the house having my dinner and 
Eddie came in the radio on the shagster and he stood there in front of the fire and he asked me if I had a trawler band on because the radios that time had trawler bands on them. So he says there was one of the trawlers lost up about Glen and I asked him do you know which one? No, he says I don't because they're keeping it very quiet because uh, there was a big silence, you know, in case people would make out which boat was missing. So I just got up and out the door and I met Oni in 21. They were heading for the lifeboat, so three of us went over and up. We landed up there maybe two, two and a half, three hours after. Charlie Boyle was the motor mechanic on the Arnmore lifeboat. In January 1975, he was searching for the crew of the Evelyn Marie. Little did he think that just under two years later, he'd be at the exact same spot looking for the crew of the Caraguna. Charlie was a friend of my father's, and searching for him the night of the accident and talking about it 36 years later is still very raw for him. The, the lifeboats then were very slow, you know, flat out, you know, they did eight knots, and it's 20 miles from here to Rathlin Burn, you know, so that it's a long run. By the time we got up there, there was a large fleet of boats searching all around the area, and we came alongside one of them, I don't know who it was now at the time, and they told us it was the Evelyn Marie that had gone down, and uh, there was no... No sign of her anywhere. She went down fairly close uh, close to the lighthouse, but uh, there was no sign of her at that time. So we just searched a bit around the island and let go flares to light up the area. Till about maybe one-ish or two-ish, we went up to Killybeg's then and got some food and tried to have an hour's sleep, but we just couldn't. So we came back down again, it was getting bright at that time, probably about half seven, eight o'clock. So searched and searched and searched and that was it. We knew all the crew on the Evelyn Marine because it was fishing out of Barton Port. When, when you know the people it makes it uh, so much, you feel so much sadder. What was it like on that night? Describe what the night was like, the uh, night of the, the accident. The night was fair enough, you know, it wasn't a bad night. No. no there probably was a heavy swell going, land swell, but out in the clear now it was fair enough. And do you think my grandfather Eddie knew it was Dad's boat? He definitely did. Because when I looked at it, I knew in his face that he was 90% anyway sure who it was. And the next morning, neighbours came in and took the children, dressed them, took them. Your father was 35 and I was 33 the month before. And we had five children. Annette was seven, Charles six, Marion five, you were four. Dad so, was just three years. And my father-in-law came and he was very upset. 
And he said, we'll never see them again. And I wouldn't listen to him. I said, I didn't believe that because Huey was a good swimmer. And he said, I know where it happened. There's not a chance they'll be found. But I still wouldn't believe it until there was two bodies found the next evening. I think that's when I give up hope. Because my dad's body was never found, a rosary was held in our house for three months. During that time, my mother was heavily pregnant with her sixth child. I don't know how she managed to cope with my dad's loss, crowds in the house every night, and five children under seven years of age to look after. My baby was due on the 1st of May, but on the 18th of April, I went into labour and was rushed to Donlow Hospital, where I had a baby boy, and only to be told there was a second child. I was had, having twins. And Hugh was born at 8.30 p.m. And then Edward was born in Letterkenny Hospital at 11.45. But they were the best thing ever happened to me because I really had to get on with life then. These two wee babies were depending on me for their life and my rest of my children. As a four-year-old child who lost a parent, I've always had unanswered questions. And it's only now I'm beginning to fill in the blanks. Um, so this is me, day two of my interviews, to find out what happened to my dad's boat and to find out a bit more about what my dad was like as a person. Um, and, you know, I interviewed my mum last night and, you know, it was... I felt so sad for my mum just listening to her telling the stories and, you know, I just... I knew it brought all the pain back for her again and, I, you know, I feel really... Still today, I feel really bad about that, that I put her through that again. She sort of was sort of reliving it all by telling me the story of what happened and... Uh, yeah, I knew it was really upsetting for her, so I, f- I feel really bad about that. Today I'm going to Burdenport to meet Michelle Boner for the first time. Michelle's dad, Paddy Boner, was a skipper of the Evelyn Marie. Michelle was seven years old at the time of the disaster. Being that bit older than me, I expect her memories of her dad to be much stronger than my memories of my dad. I remember that he was a very happy person. He was very generous. He was very good to us. I know it's really difficult to talk about it. When you were growing up as a child, did um, did your mum talk about your dad much? Yeah, she did. She did talk about him a lot. We spent a lot of time out at weekends. She used to drive around the coast um, looking for wreckage. And she, you know, you would often see things in the water, and we used to the car. Our car would be full because there was there was four of us at the time, and um, you know, you would see things on shorelines, and she would drive as close as she could get, and she would go and look and see was it anything to do with the boat. And how long did she do that for? Months and months and months. It was the hardest thing I ever did to tell my children that their father was never coming home. 
and I brought them all into the bedroom one evening because I felt it was my duty to tell them nobody else's. And I sat them down and told them. And they cried and they questioned and we all cried a lot. But then we all cried a lot in those days. I don't remember anything about my mum telling me that my dad was never coming home. I can only imagine the questions that a three, four, five, six and seven-year-old would have asked. I said he was gone to heaven, gone up to God. But you just couldn't understand then why, when he wasn't in a coffin. And who would put him in a coffin, and it was very hard to explain to us. It was very hard because we didn't have a grave to go to visit. That was harder. It was very hard, and I found that very hard, that I didn't have a grave to visit. Did we ask a lot of questions in the years after that? Yeah. Constantly, and particularly you. You never stopped questioning me. Because you idolised your father. You always got up in the morning when he was salmon fishing. Sat on the sitting room window till his boat came in on anchor and then you would call me to get, his, to get the breakfast. You just idolised him. And you had so much questions after I remember here, overhearing Annette one day saying, Helena, stop asking Mum questions, you know, you'll make her cry. And I thought that was so sad. Annette herself was only seven. I think it all affected just differently. And I probably was very protective towards you and tried not to upset you by talking about it. And I'm not sure that was the best thing, but I just did what I best I could at the time. I used to stand at the window watches going out to school and think, why should this happen to my children? It just felt so sad. Why should this happen to us? Out of the six men that were lost, only two bodies were found the following day, and that was Johnny O'Goodell and Ronan Forkner. I'm with my big sister Annette. Now, Annette, how old were you when Dad was lost? I was just seven years of age. And do you, what do you remember about that time? I remember that um, in the morning getting up and the kitchen was quite packed and Mum was just crying, just... There was just tears coming out of her. She was... I don't think she even could talk. She was just inconsolable. And she was trying to dress one of the kids and um, there was lots of people the neighbours were in. And uh, we were all, the five of us were taken away to a neighbour's house that day. And we were obviously told that um, Dad's boat had gone down. But I don't actually remember when. Oh, we knew there was something wrong that morning. It was just a terrible house that morning. It was great fun. He always had us everywhere with him in the car. He always the five of us with him everywhere. If we went visiting the neighbours or visiting down to Nana's or if he went visiting his cousins, he was great for visiting or Garnell. But he would always have the five of us with him all the time. Dad was babysitting. Um, there was a few of us. I remember me and Charles, Marion, Bobby, and yourself. I'm sure Dad was a baby. Mum must have went to a wake or something, and um, Charles swallowed a penny, and we were in the sitting room, and um, he turned him upside down. He kept shaking him, thinking that that he would get the penny out. But um, I think I believe Charles passed the penny three or four days later. He was shaking him upside down. What have you told your kids about their grandpa? 
the kids are very inquisitive about their grandpa and I just tell them that the boat was lost and it hit a rock and they want to know where it is and they want to go and see the spot. Just um, yesterday my son asked me why and I, and he asked where all the, um, where everybody lost in the boat and I said, told him the where. And I just said that God wanted some angels and he took the good ones. The hardest thing for me is not having a grave to visit. It's the same for Michelle Boner. 36 years later, we're still searching for some closure. You know, normally when somebody dies, there's a wake. You know, there's a period of time of three or four days and then the wake is over and, and there's a funeral and so on and there's there's closure. Whereas that wouldn't have happened, obviously. What a disaster. And it went on and on and on. And I remember at times, you know, just wanting to scream and telling people to get out of our house. And that our daddy was coming home. And maybe if they all would go out of the house, he would come home. You know, the house, you know, I suppose was taken over by people meaning well, of course, they were, you know. Um, and it, went, it just seemed to go on and on and never stop. And I remember as well thinking that um, how could they not just, you know, jump in off, you know, where the, where the disaster happened? Why did they not just jump onto that island and that maybe they were hiding there, you know? And even, you know, thinking the most absurd things that maybe they swam somewhere else and nobody could find them. And... I even thought at one time that he might have swam as far as America. And just things that a child would think, you know. During the course of my research, I stumbled across some TV footage from 1978. What I was about to hear raised more questions than answers. I don't understand why no one has mentioned this to me before. Skipper James Gallagher was fishing 12 miles from the Evelyn Marie when she got into trouble and he picked up the last desperate mayday. Come quick, we're on the rocks. His version of what then followed certainly raises questions as to the coastal services that exist for fishermen on the West Coast. James Gallagher, you were fishing in the vicinity when the May Day came across. <clears throat> what exactly was your memory of the, of the sequence of events from the time the, the first May Day signal came? That's right. I was fishing uh, close by that night. Um, I heard the May Day call sent out about exactly 22 minutes to 7. And uh, What did you do? The, the man called for help, that he was on the rocks. A couple of minutes afterwards, uh, when I knew it was a serious accident, I started on the air here to try and get contact with Madeline Head Radio on distress. What time would this have been at? 18 minutes to 7, around about that time. I called them twice on distress, but no reply. I called Valencia twice, I got no reply. What time would distress. this have been? Just immediately afterwards. I again called Madeline Head on our working frequency and I got no reply. So I gave it up as a hopeless effort. And um, there was a fishing trawler that left the, the fishing grounds, went into Killabags to discharge some fish. And I took a chance and I called him 
and he immediately replied. He got my message and I asked him to send out a helicopter to the scene of the accident immediately to get in contact with whoever was in charge. So he done that. And about uh, an hour or three quarters of an hour later on, Maddenhead contacted me over the air. And what time would this have been? Uh, about, um, about 20 past seven, about three quarters of an hour after I called him first. And he said um, it was hopeless to send out a helicopter there that uh, they couldn't work under the darkness. Why was my father and five other men left in the water that night? Surely if a helicopter had been sent out, there might have been a chance of saving some of them. I've always heard that the fishermen on the Evelyn Marie were one of the most experienced crews to have left Killybegs. They were in a brand new boat with all the latest equipment. How could this have happened to them? To only find out now that there was a chance they could have been saved really angers me. Who's to know that if the helicopter had gone out that night, they might have pulled them alive from the water, or at least have taken the bodies from the sea, so we could have had a grave to go to? Manus Boyle from Killybegs knew the crew of the Evelyn Marie well. As a crew, they were like a family. I drank with them, I had a drink with them the night before the war. I'm not sure now whether... Uh, uh, it was the night before they were lost, or two nights before they were lost, we were in Killybegs, and there were there were nine of us together in the one company, and it was hilarious, you know. And they were different than other crews. Um, you know, you, you, it's very seldom you've seen the full crew going to the pub and staying together, you know, and, and enjoying each other's company, because when you were out for a long time with the same crowd of fellows, you, you kind of wanted to get away, clear them, and go with somebody else when you came ashore. But they were always together. They were just like a family. For years I've been wondering about what happened to the boat my dad was lost on and in 2006 I eventually put in a formal request to the Irish government searching for answers. Remember, in 1975 the Evelyn Marie sank with the loss of a crew of six and only two bodies were recovered. Less than two years later the Caragunas sank at the exact same spot with the loss of five lives and only two bodies were found. This is the official response I received to my inquiry in April 2006. 12th of April 2006. Note on casualties Caraguna and Evelyn Marie for information. I attach for information a note on MFVs Caraguna and Evelyn Marie and also a note on the Marine Casualty Investigation Board. Marine surveyors produced preliminary reports in both cases. These reports are confidential and cannot be released to the public. I also attach copies of parliamentary questions and a press release which can be released. If you have any further questions, please contact me on the details provided below. Regards, Shauna McGeerty, Maritime Safety Directorate, Department of Transport. I heard that the Thesha Brian Cowan is coming to Arnmore Island mid-November 2010 and I want some answers. The fishing community along the west coast of Donegal was just coming to terms with the Evelyn Marie tragedy when disaster struck again. Mayday, mayday, mayday. 
Well, we've had a report this morning that uh, a Bartonport trawler had gone up on the rocks at Rathenaburn Island. This news came from Shannon Air Rescue. It has been confirmed that the, the boat is the Carriguna, uh, skipper and four of a crew. My name is Mary Coyle. I lost my son, Mia, on the Carriguna, the 23rd of November. 76, he was 22 years. Michael was full of fun, very, very jolly, and uh, very clever, very, very clever, and he shouldn't have been out fishing at all. At the time, fishing was very good, and he thought he was going to make his fortune very quickly. And he went out to fish, and he only fished for about three weeks. And that was it. He had holy water and he had everything that... Everything that you would think would save him. And that night, I woke up about half past two or three o'clock, and I, it was very stormy now at that time. Like, I thought it was very stormy. Maybe it wasn't that stormy at all. And I was out at the back door shaking holy water for them. That they would be all right. And that would be the time. Now, and I was telling that to a woman up and down Low Bridget Lack, and she was a teacher. And she said to me, do you think she said that that holy water went to loss? And I said, well, I don't know, I said, whether it did or not. And she said, would you not like to think that maybe that was the holy water that took him through the gates of hell? And I said, at this stage, I don't know whether there's a heaven or not. Another mother who lost her son in the Carraguna was Mary O'Donnell. Her son, Dolty, was only filling in for someone else. He was very, very good-natured, terrible good-natured altogether. He was always working and working, and he was, when the father was laid off, not fit to work, he was the man that was taking in the money. He was very, very good. My name is Mary McGarvey, and I was 20 years from Doty, was lost. Doty was 23, he was three years older than me. We were great pals. He would take me to dances, and he would give me money to go to dances, buy me clothes. He was very good-natured, but, oh, he was a devil. He was an antichrist. Just, he, no, he, he was full of life. Just He was up for anything. Just the morning on the way, he told us to get a suit ready, his denim suit ready, his blue denim suit ready for going out. Mummy washed it, hung it out in the line for him, and the sh- she pressed it and all ready for him, but he never came home. In the morning, he was, he was in bed. And the father was lying out in the other room. So I said I would go up to the shop to get some stuff. When I came down, this Ted Carberry fellow was at the door. And he came in and he asked Doty to go with him. Would he go out with him? And Ted, what do you call him? Eddie Baskets, Eddie Baskets place. And he wasn't too keen of going at all. He said he wasn't too keen of going with the way the father was not well. But he says, 
they told me to go to the barn and get his ice skates. And I went out and I got his ice skates. And I put them into the car. So he went out and he said, I'm mummy, he says, I mightn't be going out at all. So, um, well, I said, please yourself if you don't want to go. So I went away on the car down the road. But I went up on the hill to watch that car, and that car went out of sight. It was a wild shock in the morning when the priest came at eight o'clock. I was up getting the scholar, the young fellow at school, and the knock came to the door, and when I opened it, it was Father McBride. He was in Kincastle at the time, and he came in with the news. Do you know that I thought my heart stopped? It was a wild blow. It was terrible. It was very, very hard because you just think, God, how could you do this? You know, how could this happen? You know, he's just out filling in for some other man. And then some priest told us that's what God had meant for him. That was his destiny and that's what it was to be. I think as well it's so hard because my father's body was never found, you know. I think it's just not having okay. a grave. I find the body's just not got as terrible severe altogether. Because you're, you're wondering, that when I wake up some nights, I wonder if he did he make his bed. Do you know that kind of way? And how long did you wait, you know, for oh, to see? We, we waited for years. We had Rosie in the house for months and months and months afterwards. We always thought that maybe somebody picked him up and maybe he was in Russia or he was somebody. Because he was a great swimmer, you see. We always thought that he would come somewhere because he, he was a fighter, you know. Like Mary Coyle, Mary O'Donnell, Michelle Boner and all the other families whose relatives were never found, we all waited and waited and waited and wondered. I can't remember when I stopped waiting. Another thing that I've discovered in this journey is how the media hounded my mother and the other families. If your mother or father died in a tragedy, would you want 20 photographers and reporters turning up at your door the next morning? The press would have done anything for a story and they didn't care who the hurt or how they got it. And I remember when your mother was in hospital, I remember I stopped somebody from the, the Daily Mirror trying to get into the hospital and he was going to go and pass the nurses whether or not. One of the nurses told me and, and uh, uh, to stop him. Um, I mean, that wasn't right, you know. I seen when, when the Caraguna was lost, uh, one of them stood on the st side of the hearse when the hearse was leaving the chapel to try and get a picture. You know, that's, that's the kind of things they've done, you know. Um, to me, that would be gutter stuff, you know. And the other thing I felt was that there was nothing done for the people, you know. The, the only people that mourned was the families and the other fishermen that knew them and people like myself that was friends of theirs. Um, the government didn't do any... Uh, the government of the day or since never done anything to help them. Um, they had some uh, type of internal uh, inquiry, uh, but they wouldn't, they wouldn't tell anybody what the results of it were or, you know, or, or anything like that. There was no such thing as counselling or anything for, for any of the bereaved or anything like that. Um, 
it was all very badly handled that way, you know. I'm going to Rathlin O'Burn tomorrow. It's taken me 36 years to be strong enough to face up to going to the exact place where my dad was lost at sea. I'm not sure how I'm going to feel when I get there, but I know it's something that I finally need to do. Before I go, I have one last man I need to speak to. On the 7th of January 1975, my father was lost in the fishing tragedy um, off Rathlin O'Byrne. Now, Mr Barry, the Minister for Transport at the time, decided that it wasn't important enough to do a formal inquiry. So I want to know why that formal inquiry wasn't made and also why uh, none of the findings of that inquiry, the, the preliminary inquiry, none of the findings are released to the families. It's 36 years on now and I'm quite, I'm, I'm, I'm anxious to know what happened to those boats and why you won't release the findings. Well, to be honest, um, I wasn't aware of the, of the issue until you spoke to me there now about it. I mean, I was 15 years of age myself when that happened, and I'm very sorry that hearing the tragedy happened. I'm not uh, au fait with the details of it, and obviously it's something that I'll check into. I haven't any prior notice of the issue. Uh, if I had, I'd make some inquiries, but... Obviously, you know, I, all I can say to you is I can look into these things. OK. Then also, a year and 11 months later, another boat called the Caraguna went down in exactly the same spot. And again, Mr Barry, the, the Minister for Transport, decided that a formal inquiry wasn't necessary. Now, 11 lives were lost at sea at that point. Now, I don't know why, why would that decision have been made not to do a formal inquiry? Well, again, I think, you know, it's best direct these questions to the people who had charge at the time. As I say, I, I didn't come into politics until nine, year, nine or ten years later. Uh, and I'm not in a position, to be frank, to give you a, a full or comprehensive reply because I'm not aware of the circumstances and I wouldn't have any direct dealings with it. OK. But uh, I, think, I think what we should try and do is, you know, make some preliminary inquiries as to what the situation was and come back to you. Excuse me, sir, there's going to be a media doorstep just immediately after. No, I, I, this is a private thing. Yeah, a private but I, I, I would like to, as a child, I was four years yeah, of age when I lost I my father, I would like to know, I want to see what the findings are. I, I have I the understand. right to know what the inquiry that was made, I have a right to know what is in those files. Can you guarantee me now, this documentary is going out in RTE yeah. 1FM on the 8th of January, can you guarantee to me that you will release those findings to me? Well, I can't guarantee anything because I don't know what the legal issues are or anything. But, I mean, as I say, you've just, we've just met. You've asked me about this, and I'm very sorry it happened, um, obviously, and it's an, an issue of importance to you. And all I can do is, as a result of this interview, make some inquiries and see what the situation is. But I don't want to be in any way uh, suggesting that I'm disrespectful or anything like that. I'm just not aware of the issues, and until I would be aware of them, I'm not in a position really to be as helpful as you would like me to be. OK, but you, you'll come back with me, to me either way before the 8th of January. We'll, check, we'll check into these things. All right, good morning. Thank you. At the time of making this documentary in late December, I still had not received an answer from the Tisha, despite several phone calls and emails to his office. I believe I have the right, as does every other family member who lost a loved one on the Evelyn Marie in Carraguna, to find out what happened. Every fisherman who still fishes those waters today also deserves that right. OK, I'm an Alfred Pier in Arnmore Island. It's just gone 8.30 in the morning and um, 
just waiting. I can see the fast ferry, Darren Moore fast ferry coming into um, Afford Pier um, because we're heading up to Rattlin O'Burn today. So the Iron Moore ferry is going to take me up to Rattlin O'Burn to see where my father was lost. And I'm delighted that my big brother Charles is coming with me. Um, so our route is we're going to Teeland to pick up my cousin Manus and his daughter Patricia and I'm also going to my big sister Annette's going to be there too. I've never been to Rattlin before, so um, it's 36 years now since my father was lost off Rattlin O'Burn. So, um, yeah, it's taken me this long to sort of go up and visit where where he was lost. So. You'll see a bleak, dangerous coastline, that's what you see, do you know? Uh, to the stranger, to people that's not involved with this beautiful coastline, it's rugged. Great scenery in that, but when you get back to Rathlin, there's no scenery. There's just rocks and dangerous, dangerous place, do you know? I'm near the place where my dad was lost, just off the coast of Rattlin O'Burn Island. I have a wreath with 11 red roses, one for every fisherman that was drowned on the Evelyn Marie and Caraguna almost 36 years ago. This was the hardest journey I've taken in my life. Some questions are still unanswered. The last thing I expected to happen was to get some sense of closure. I'm glad I've gone on this journey and I hope my dad is proud. What was my dad like? He was a wonderful husband and father. He was jolly, outgoing. You're a lot like him, very much like him in personality. He made friends very easily. And if he was your friend, he was your friend for life. Do you find it easier to talk about it now? I do. It was a time I couldn't talk about it. I can talk about it now. I couldn't talk about it before. It's not something I could talk about every day. I still find that difficult. What do you think he would have wanted for us? He would have wanted us to be happy. That would be the main thing in his life. He'd want us all to be happy. 